Welcome to Bible News Press. Our goal is to discuss biblical faith beyond cliches and buzzwords, whether such words are religious or political. Sometimes we sit around the table and fellowship. Sometimes we do a little time travel. It is all part of our journey with our Abba Father, who has given us the key to life. We do it with Jesus, and we do it together. Welcome. Hello, I'm Laura. I will be reading 2 Kings chapter 5 from the World English Bible. Now Naaman, captain of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and honorable because by him Yahweh had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. The Syrians had gone out in bands and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maiden, and she waited on Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, I wish that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria, then he would heal him of his leprosy. Someone went in and told his Lord, saying, The maiden who is from the land of Israel said this. The king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. He departed and took with him ten talents of silver and six thousand pieces of gold and ten changes of clothing. He brought the letter to the king of Israel, saying, Now when this letter has come to you, behold, I have sent Naaman my servant to you that you may heal him of his leprosy. When the king of Israel had read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man sends to me to heal a man of his leprosy? But please consider and see how he seeks a quarrel against me. It was so when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and with his chariots, and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall come again to you, and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry and went away and said, Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of Yahweh his God and wave his hand over the place and heal the leper. Aren't Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. His servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet had asked you to do some great thing, wouldn't you have done it? How much rather then when he says to you, Wash and be clean? Then went he down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh was restored, like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. He returned to the man of God and all his company and came and stood before him. And he said, See now, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. Now, therefore, please take a gift from your servant. But he said, As Yahweh lives before whom I stand, I will receive none. He urged him to take it, but he refused. Naaman said, If not, then please let two mules' burden of earth be given to your servant, for your servant will from now on offer neither burnt offering nor sacrifice to other gods but to Yahweh. In this thing may Yahweh pardon your servant. 
when my master goes into the house of Ramon to worship there, and he leans on my hand and I bow myself in the house of Ramon, when I bow myself in the house of Ramon, may Yahweh pardon your servant in this thing. He said to him, Go in peace. So he departed from him a little way. But Gehazi, the servant of Elisha the man of God, said, Behold, my master has spared this name and the Syrian in not receiving at his hands that which he brought. As Yahweh lives, I will run after him and take something from him. So Gehazi followed after Naaman. When Naaman saw one running after him, he came down from the chariot to meet him and said, Is all well? He said, All is well. My master has sent me, saying, Behold, even now two young men of the sons of the prophets have come to me from the hill country of Ephraim. Please give them a talent of silver and two changes of clothing. Naaman said, Be pleased to take two talents. He urged him and bound two talents of silver in two bags with two changes of clothing and laid them on two of his servants, and they carried them before him. When he came to the hill, he took them from their hand and stored them in the house. Then he let the men go, and they departed. But he went in and stood before his master. Elisha said to him, Where did you come from, Gehazi? He said, Your servant went nowhere. He said to him, Didn't my heart go with you when the man turned from his chariot to meet you? Is it a time to receive money and to receive garments? and olive groves and vineyards and sheep and cattle and male servants and female servants. Therefore the leprosy of Naaman will cling to you and to your offspring forever. He went out from his presence a leper, as white as snow. That is the end of chapter 5. You can't get around three things here in the opening. One, Yahweh had given Naaman victory. Two, the captive little girl cared about her captor, and three, this little girl was convinced of the ability of Yahweh's prophet to heal. Every translation I checked, which was eight to ten of them, emphasized the young age of this girl. However, if she was waiting on Naaman's wife, and she remembered the prophet in Israel where she used to live, she probably had to be at least ten or eleven, although such awareness can really depend on the child and how they were taught. So if she was old enough to remember about the prophet in Israel, then she was old enough to remember being taken as captive, which had to be a very distressing thing. Yet here she is caring for her captor, for her new master as a slave. This could be partially explained by the fact that Naaman seems to be a nice man overall, but this can't really explain it. And I would suggest to you that based on the fact that she had faith in Yahweh's prophet, that she had been trained to have the love of Yahweh for other people. And so she knew how to have the right attitude towards people in whatever circumstances she found herself. It's a hard thing, but she's an excellent example of that. Then word gets around about what this little girl said. So the king of Syria sends his valued captain with pomp and wealth and a letter to the king of Israel. Funny how the king of Syria seemed to assume that the king of Israel would be in touch with this amazing prophet, a source of such power, but instead the king of Israel misunderstands and panics. So Elisha has to remind him he's being an idiot and point him in the right direction. 
However, Elisha makes it clear that all Naaman's rank and money cannot get him audience with God's prophet. He will be answered and responded to because he has shown enough faith to come, but some things need to be made clear in the, in the interaction. One, this power is not Elisha's. It is from the God of Israel. Two, this God, Yahweh, is not like any of the gods of Syria. And three, healing will be given when Naaman completely humbles himself to the God of Israel, basically dies to himself, similar to the symbolism of baptism. Naaman's first reaction is anger. He doesn't want to be humble. He wants some show of healing the great man and possibly something that resembles the flailing and the showmanship that he's used to of the false gods. Fortunately, Naaman's other servants also care for him. And this is another indication that he must have been a man of good character because not only do they care about them, but he listens to the people under his authority much like he paid attention to the words of the little girl. So he had already shown some signs of humility. So God is fanning the flames that not only will bring his healing, but recognition of and faith in the one true God. And I think it's likely, like the centurion in the New Testament, that many in his household also turned to Yahweh through this. In verse 14, we see that Naaman then completely followed instructions. And we have another seven. Seven is an interesting number in the Bible. I will link to a few articles that talk about or try to define this biblically. But I also did a word search of just the word spelled out seven, S-E-V-E-N. The gist of it is that it appears to resemble completeness, completeness and faith in God. For instance, there's the obvious seven days in one week in which God created the universe. Then there are the seven days that Noah and his family were in the ark before it began to rain in Genesis chapter 7. Then there is the seven years that Jacob served Laban for each wife. And there is the seven bows that Jacob made to Esau when he was returning to the land, and that's in Genesis 33. Joseph interpreted the dream about seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. Then there was the plague of blood that lasted for seven days. This is in Exodus 7.25. In Exodus 25.37, there are seven lamps instructed to be made for the tabernacle. Also in Exodus, when they're setting up the tabernacle, it talks about seven days to make atonement for the altar in chapter 29, verse 37. And then in Leviticus 4.17, it talks about sprinkling blood seven times. There are also lots of sevens in describing the feasts, and there are also seven feasts as well. Obviously, there were the seven days that the children of Israel marched around Jericho in Joshua 6.4, and then there were the seven men that were judged for sins against the Gibeonites and Saul's family in 2 Samuel chapter 21. Recently, we read about Elijah looking seven times for rain in 1 Kings 18.43. In Psalm 12.6, it talks about the words of the Lord are purified seven times. And in Psalm 119.164, it talks about praising God seven times a day because of his wonderfulness. Proverbs 26.16 talks about the fact that seven wise men can't overcome the stupidity, basically the wisdom that a sluggard has in his own eyes. 
In Isaiah chapter 30, verse 26, there is a prophecy that describes the light of the sun as being brighter by seven times. In Ezekiel, it talks about seven months of burying the bones after that particular war. Nebuchadnezzar's humiliation of eating grass like a wild beast lasts for seven years. In Zechariah 3 9, it talks about one stone with seven eyes. And in 4 2, there are also a list of many sevens. In Matthew 12 45, it talks about seven other spirits coming. And in Matthew 15 34, is the miracle of the seven loaves being multiplied. Matthew 18 22 is one of the places where Jesus talks about forgiveness, and here talks about 70 times seven. In Acts 6.3, it talks about choosing seven men to take care of certain duties for the new church. And then we have the seven churches that are beginning to be talked about in Revelations 1.4. And then there are lots of more sevens in Revelation. Revelation 5.5 talks about seven seals, 8.2, seven angels and trumpets, 10.3, seven thunders, 15.1, seven plagues. And this is, like I said, all just from a word search of just the word seven. There are other places in the Bible where seven seems more incidental or at least less clearly declared. But in all these passages, seven is obviously used by God to be associated with things in ways that he is trying to get them across. That's probably why the beasts in Revelations try to mimic this. I'm guessing that even during this time period with Naaman, the use of seven sent a strong message. And by following through, Naaman is recognizing God as he reveals himself. And then he doesn't just get healed. He gets baby skin. He gets more than he asked for. He gets evidence that this is more than just a dip in the river, that this is the resurrection of his skin. I will also take a moment to note that in several resources I looked at, it talked about this word dip being more like plunging or total immersion. Naaman immediately becomes totally devoted to Yahweh because he realizes there is no other God in all the earth. And Elisha is faithful to completely represent God. You can't pay God, and as his prophet, Elisha has no need for payment to take care of his needs. And in this case, It is particularly important that there be no confusion about compensation being involved. This is much like what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 9, verses 12 through 18, 2 Corinthians 11, verse 7, and 1 Thessalonians 2, 5 through 12. The idea being that the good news that's being presented to Naaman here in who the one true God is needs to be not having any baggage like you could pay the prophet to get these things. So in parting, Naaman just tells Elisha that his job, Naaman's job, involves supporting his master, which in context seems to be the king of Syria he's referring to. He needs to support his master in a pagan temple, but Naaman will definitely not be worshiping. Can he please be excused to carry out this duty? And Elisha says, be at peace with it. And this is where Gehazi blows it. Gehazi rationalizes it, then he lies, then he is deceptive. But because he is also representing Elisha, who represents Yahweh, the consequences have to be clear. It may have seemed fairly innocent to him at first, not hurting anyone. Amon was going to try and pay anyway. Gehazi only wanted a little. 
but Elisha explains that he got it horribly wrong. It is interesting how Elisha expands beyond what Naaman brought or offered. Elisha basically lists a representation of all possible wealth and says it was not time to receive such. And Gehazi was cursed with the very disease that Naaman was cured of. This made it very clear that it was all connected. The account would get out. Lepers were obvious. Their condition could not be hidden. That's all for today. Thanks for listening. That is the Bible News Press segment for today, but not the end of our journey.